I'll tell I'll, I'll tell an interesting story here. Something actually that um, that that no one's ever really no one's ever heard before. Are you a Megadeth fan? Ah, hey, two things I got to mention real quick. First, yeah. Metallica Jupe or uh, Pinball Machine, sick. But then, yes. what I like even better is that Arise deck back there. That's incredible. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, there's a company called Check Your Head, um, and they they named it after the Beastie Boys song. But they release very limited edition skate decks. Um, also have a, a Pantera Vulgar Display of Power. Oh, but sweet. they work with the bands though, so it's not like a rip. So like actually you can buy a lot of these on the band's website. So cool. Yeah. It's that's super cool. like it's super limited edition though. They'll put like 40 of them out, you know, 40 or 50, and then that's it. So yeah. I got a Faith yeah. More one too, man. Like oh, which one? A Faith oh, Faith the More, right? Yeah, yeah, I see that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So my wife lets me uh decorate the man cave. So <laughs> that's it though. Like I can't, you know, I can't be putting skate decks above the the mantle. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hey, we're well, uh, fortunate to have that in the man cave. At least you're allowed that, right? So, dude, your place looks nice too, man. Hey, thanks. I appreciate it. It's clean. That's good. Thanks. thanks yeah. This it's is that. Yeah, I'm working every day. Oh, it's nice, man. How's your uh, day going? Besides dealing with me, <laughs> real good, real good. Yeah. Just uh, yeah, yeah. preparing uh, to make make video. So um, I'm just writing a little like intro song for uh, I'm going to be uh, demoing a, a famous guitar head that I just inherited. So oh, uh, they were famous back in the day. Like, I don't know anything about them. Actually, the famous never would have even crossed my mind. But uh, but uh, I guess Killswitch Engage used to use them a lot back in the day. And supposedly I'm just learning about them now uh, over the past couple of days. But uh, they're, pre they're pretty popular and, and sought after, you know. Yeah, man. Um, I've noticed like I've been on your YouTube page and uh, I've noticed like you're pretty savvy, like with uh, just equipment and making these videos. Have you always been pretty good uh, with, you know, computers? <laughs> well, thanks, man. Um, I don't, I guess, you know, I, I guess I just kind of figure stuff out. I'm sure like you guys, too. I've got that knack where if I want to figure out how to do something, whether, you know, I'd never edited a video before three, four years ago. But, you know, thanks. Thanks to YouTube you can figure out and learn anything that you want at all. You know? <laughs> and there are multiple, multiple videos on every topic, you know, and you sift through a couple till you find the one that makes the most sense to you and dig in, you know, whether you have to fix something on your dryer or your stove or uh, if help you determine what amp you're going to buy, you know, and everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I used to have a, I used to, well, I still do. Uh, I have, we do interviews at the house. So I have a crew that comes, um, but like I'm, I'm, I'm learning how to do the Zoom thing. Like you're doing. Have you ever had any like disasters where you think you're recording and you're not recording, or like we had earlier where I can't hear or you can't hear something? Do you ever run into any problems like that? Oh, of course. Someone's mic wasn't on or something uh, like that. You and you just did an hour interview, you know, and and like so you have to just so so then you're digging in trying to improve like a camera audio feed to make it work so you know because you don't want you don't want to tell the person hey i'm sorry man i didn't have your mic on <laughs> so, so you got to figure out how a way to make it work but yeah there, i mean there there have been a disaster moments i can't think of any off the top of my head but where, where you just have to say hey i'm sorry we got to do this again or it didn't work out or you know uh, i didn't i forgot to introduce you to my co-host which you met before me uh this is johnny summers uh, hi johnny yeah, we were kind of just thrown into it there, you know, but uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, no we're doubt. just right into it. What's that, Johnny? I just said, you say, no John? doubt, man, vice versa. Nice to meet you, man. Hey, right on. Likewise. Dude, um, I grew up listening to, to Chimera and uh, and I'm from the South. So it's funny. Um, 
I remember the first time listening to you guys pronounce your name and how me and my friends pronounced it, which is kind of funny because we used to pronounce it uh, like Chimera, like how oh, yeah. Chimera. Uh, but it's funny. I don't know what made me think of that. But for I years, would say that that's probably the most popular um, way to say it, Chimera. You know, okay, we say yeah. Chimera. Yeah, Chimera. but I mean, Chimera is, is definitely what we hear the most and uh, and certainly acceptable, you know. Uh, I definitely want to talk about it, uh, but I want to talk about uh, your solo album, which is awesome. It's really cool. I was uh, I've had Mark Rizzo on the show, um, and he's done a couple of solo albums. What made you decide to do a solo with no singing? Well, uh, first of all, Mark Rizzo, great guy. I saw that you had one uh, with him. I got to check that out. But we've been friends a long time since 2001 when El Nino and Camira started touring together and uh, we hit it off right away that guy's a monster you know flamenco player golden glove black boxer just a great great all-around dude um but uh well I, I would say for a long time I'd hear that you know with 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 every heavy band there are the people that say they like the music but all oh, the vocals are too much or something you know or just too too heavy you know especially if you you know your parents are listening to whatever you know a cannibal corpse record ah, now your parents wouldn't say they like the music of cannibal corpse that was a bad example but anyways <laughs> um but you know so i just thought why don't i just do one to satisfy those people and maybe you know the other people that uh you know didn't request an instrumental only record they may enjoy it too just hearing andals and i again we hadn't made music together in a long time and had the opportunity to do that and and uh not that I really thought of this as a motivating factor, but it was easier not having to have another element, another huge element of vocals, figuring out who I wanted, if I was going to have, if they wanted to do it, if I was going to, you know, if it was going to be like Mark or something, then why don't we just call it a new Camaro record? Uh, do I want somebody? I don't know. So I just figured I'm just going to do one. I plan to do more solo records, but I actually plan to have vocals on future ones. I don't think I'll continue with without vocals. Um, maybe, who knows? But uh, but I don't know how I'll do it. If I'll have different singers per song or one singer for a whole album and then switch it up, different drummer for another album. I'm, I haven't figured out exactly what I'm going to do. And that that path will determine itself for me as time goes on, I believe. That's cool. That reminds me of uh, I was talking to Bones from Suck Mojo a while ago, and he was um, he he was going to do an album called Bones and Friends and every song just be a different singer. You know, but that's yeah. really hard. To do, like you said, I mean, having to, you know, get everybody together and, you know, planning. I know that I know it's got to be pretty hard. Yeah, like that Probot record, and that, which reminded me, Probot, you're, yeah. you're you're like um, your promo video, like the intro video on your YouTube page, sounds like a Foo Fighter song. Is it? Like, I mean, so did, my intro song is Clint Lowry from Seven Dust. Oh, he, he sang and wrote it. Everything. That's cool. Yeah, I was. Do you do stuff like that for other people? Do you do you? Uh, you said you record intros. Have you ever done anything like that for a podcast? Um, no, I used to, but I really. When I started doing the YouTube thing, I, uh, back in when I decided that I was going to try to do it full time, probably around 2018 or something, I really stopped taking on any additional work. So I haven't really done any collaborations or, or anything like that. I just, I, I, cause I just don't even have time to put out as much of my own stuff that I want to. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, the list is never ending. And um, so now I really don't, I really don't take on any, anything like that anymore. Uh, it's cool looking at your um your background. I know we we're talking earlier about your setup, but I'm I'm a huge fan of um Camara's documentaries. I think way underrated. You know, if you think about some kind of monster, I feel like your first one was kind of like that. You know, showing how the how your band was doing on the road, and you'd see Andals like quitting the band and then getting a, a new drummer. What made you guys decide to do 
the uh, documentary? Well, of course, we are all fans of the Vulgar video and, you know, uh, Metallica's videos that they had back then, um, even though at that time, what was it? Live Ship Engine Purge really wasn't like documentary is more concert, but there'd be that in between stuff and everything. But anyways, we all watched that. And like I said, the, the Vulgar videos and that was always awesome. And it, it just so happened that we were all from the, you know, the Cleveland area real close. A bunch of us went to high school together. And uh, the, the our friend Todd Bell, who is a cinematographer for Thin Humanizing, all, did all our DVDs, most of our photo shoots, a lot of our album artwork and stuff like that. He was just a high school guy we went, hung out with too, and uh, had his band and all our bands would play together. And ever. So we were just fortunate to have a friend that was just already in with us and everything like that, that was going to film school and had a great eye for this stuff and loved it, wanted to do it. And so it was just as simple as that, I think, where he said, hey, can I just start filming you guys and we'll put something together? And it coincided with the making of The Impossibility of Reason, which was just perfect timing. And uh, came it came out really well and was put out and people seemed to really like it and has really stood the test of time. And, and we're so grateful to have that documentary and the documentaries afterward because the the proof is there of what type of connection that's built with with their fan our fan base and how they see us as just real people and um i think it really solidified a connection to the music in a way that it may had had those documentaries not existed yeah man uh were you guys uh, were you guys ever hesitated or hesitant about releasing certain like were you in there and during the edit process i mean was there stuff that you're like we can't release this or you know uh, i mean it seems pretty personal I, I don't think so. I think we'd get cuts now and then just to watch little segments. And maybe if there was something like, I don't know, super embarrassing or something, we could say, hey, cut that. But I don't remember anything like that happening. Um, yeah. Granted, you know, it's 20 years ago now, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's just hard to remember that far back. You get you get used to the camera being around quick when it's just there all the time for everything you're doing as you're in the studio and, and writing and all that for months. It's just and when it's a close friend that you're just comfortable with and and his crew of guys and all that, that you're just comfortable with you it just they become flies on the wall and they're good at that too just not interfering in any way and really just capturing the reality of these moments in an in a non-intrusive way so you just got used to it and, and didn't didn't care that it was around you know i love it I, and it's a great way to just uh, to meet the band kind of you know i remember seeing jim i was like why is jim so mean all the time you know <laughs> and, and andals what an amazing drummer and and you can see in the documentary how replacing him was almost impossible it seemed like I mean, you had a, he had the one guy that who lived, uh, I can't remember where he's from, but uh, just watching you interact with them, trying to show what Andals plays. I mean, it's really cool, man. That was Ricky from Sweden. Yeah. So the, the hardest thing about Andals was that because he and I had known each other since we were 15 years old and played in, played in the band together before Kamira. And then I brought him into Kamira and it was, we just had such a tight knit bond, all just like four of us were from Strongsville. The other guys just live in a couple neighboring cities, but all our bands would play together. And we just had just a really great friendship. And that was tough to, to hear that at that time that Andals wanted to quit right then. Like, Whoa, are you serious? Like right now, this fire is blazing. Everything is starting to happen for us. Everything we wanted to happen is happening and stuff. And you want out right now? What? I couldn't believe it. You know, we, we couldn't believe it. Um, and then so replacing him when it came to that, it proved that w how Ricky didn't work out that we, I think we're just, we had our, our walls up to people um, because of what we had before and how that felt. And then to just interject somebody new, even though Ricky was a fantastic drummer, same with Kevin Talley, 
uh, after Ricky. Fantastic drummers, fantastic guys. But uh, when we had the chance to get Andals back, we knew that that, that was just a kind of a missing piece that we welcomed back for sure. That's really cool. Uh, I'm having I'm going to interview Tom Hazart and you guys worked with him at the start. How did you guys get connected with him? With Chris Bacuza, our keyboard sampler guy, he knew him back in the day somehow just from like <clears throat> a lot of that street team stuff that was going on with like Roadrunner and I don't know what else, Island Music and stuff. But there was a lot of that street team stuff that Chris was heavily involved in. And I believe that that's how he met Tom Hazard because Tom Hazard was just kind of in the scene trying to promote, trying to A&R, trying to get bands signed and just make stuff happen musically. So um, he was always just, he had his hand in, in things and we got hooked up with him and uh, I think he made a lot of great things happen for us really back in the day, getting us showcases out in LA, New York city with various labels and things and really kickstarting our, our career uh, helping us with that, which was great. And then we just, I, I don't know exactly, but just decided to move on. I guess what we thought was another level. Like we, we went to the next manager who was managing fear factory and biohazard a guy named Scott Coding and stuff. So we just wanted to, we just wanted to keep leveling up in every way we could. And so that kind of ended the relation, that relationship with Tom, no hard feelings or anything like that. But, uh, but yeah, he's certainly, we could credit him with, with really helping us get our start. And we're appreciative of that. On a uh, past out of existence, you have Stefan from Deftones. Yeah. Who are some of your, I mean, how did you get him? And two kind of a two-part questions is how did you get Stefan from Deftones, which Deftones one of my favorite bands and who are your influences as far as guitar, you know, guitar wise? Early on in those Tom Hazard days, uh, Mark Hunter and Chris Bakuza and Jim Lamarck all flew out to, um, tele before we went and did any of those showcases just to kind of meet with Tom and some potential um, label guys and stuff. And they ended up just uh, having dinner with, um, with Stefan and Stefan heard the demos for like dead inside and stuff off, off pass out of existence and said, I really like this stuff. I'd like to come write a song with you guys. So we're like, great, you know, okay, that sounds cool. And we'll be back here in a couple months to begin recording pass out of existence. And so it happened. It just happened naturally. We went out there, gave him a call, said, Hey, we're here. Do you want to come by? He said, sure. He came by and um, we wrote that song, wrote and recorded that song in one day. Knocked oh, it out. Uh, yeah. So and so, so that was really cool. It, yeah. Did you guys ever document it? Like, is there any footage of this? Of, I don't believe so. There is some like t just tiny video and, and, you know, just think back then in, in 2001, camera quality just on your phone and stuff just wasn't as great and as accessible as it, as it is. So I believe it was after that, that when Todd Bell came in and we said, we should start documenting this pro these processes and, and, and everything, but I don't really think a lot exists of, of our time in the studio making pass out of existence, especially, I can't think of any with the stuff and stuff, but, uh, but yeah, it was great. He was super cool. And of course, surreal for us. I mean, at that time we were all big adrenaline around the fur fans. I don't know if white pony had come out yet at that time. Uh, but uh, probably right around then. But, uh, you know, everybody was huge Deftone fans at that time. And um, my influence has always been Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, Pantera, Sepultura. Oh, Sepultura yes. Yeah. Huge influence for me. Yeah. And then a lot of death metal, too. Cannibal, Deicide, Suffocation, Morbid Angel. Um, so Do you yeah. collect guitars like I love Kurt's uh, guitar that has White Zombie on it. You know, do you that, uh, that you collector? That's that's a cool one. I have many guitars, but I don't consider myself a collector. And I have many of like the same guitar too. Like I have a lot of my RA600s. I have a lot of like 
M1, they're all ESPs, uh, a lot of M1000s, a lot of, uh, so like, I, I'm not really like a collector, you'd say that just has like a bunch of different cool guitars or something like that. I have just many of the same style, you know, that I just use for different things or just, just like to have, you know. Uh, going back to your solo, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm kind of all over the, all over the map, but no problem. how did you get Handles to play drums on it? You know, I know that was special getting him back, right? So when I, uh, during my last stint with the band in 2011, when I knew that um, I was going to be exiting the band, I started making my plans to what I was going to do next. I knew I wanted to uh, get a recording studio going. I'd always had an interest in that. And then I wanted to start working on an album. And I thought, well, if Andals would play drums, it'd be great. So I asked him, he said, sure. I wrote the songs. This is all in 2012. And then he, I sent them to him for him to digest. And he came to my studio. He was living in Vegas or something at the time, but he came to my studio in 2013 and laid down all his tracks. So all of his drum tracks for the Magnitude album were recorded in 2013, which is a, a misconception for everyone because a lot of people know that Andals is, is sick, kind of um, just physically and mentally just not really well i can't say exactly what it is because i don't know if there's a name for it or whatever but he's just he's just having some 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 issues and um he has been for quite a while now but in 2013 he was still strong and good and all that and you know he, he was able to to play those drums then and i've been sitting on this for that long as it's amazing as I've been trying to find time to to finish it off and buckle down and and finish off my parts for the songs and mix and master it and all, and all waiting all this time, I believe was essential as well, because I learned so much during that time from when he first tracked his drums to when it was released of how to mix a record and things like that, that had I put it out earlier, I don't think it would have been of the, the quality that I think it is now. Oh man, that's crazy. I didn't know you sat on it that long. That's, that's gotta be difficult. Uh, who did the artwork for the cover? I really like that as well. Yeah. Uh, it's a guy named Deamorph like at Deamorph, D-A-E-M-O-R-P-H, that I just, over the years, as I'm scrolling through Instagram or, or Facebook, whatever, I always knew that I was going to need to get artwork made at some point. And every once in a while, when I saw artwork that caught my attention, I'd just make note of it. And so probably around 20, in 2021, I happened to see in my Instagram feed some of Deamorph's artwork. And I was like, whoa, this stuff is sick and exactly what I want. I recommend everyone check it out it's it, i mean it's it's gory and totally brutal but there's something about the his use of colors and stuff like that and when i reached out to him he's a guy he's from um like ukraine i think and like so the war had just begun at that time so it was actually quite a process to make it all happen but um but uh and i told i told him i you know i love your style but uh, i don't want really anything like super offensive and gory and stuff as this is just like a an instrumental yeah. guitar record you know, sort of thing it doesn't, doesn't need to have a bunch of like you know hellish slaughtering going on or something like you'll see if you check out at damorph on instagram but his, his artwork is absolutely fantastic <laughs> uh on the album are you playing bass and everything oh no you I did yeah yeah i did everything to make the record except play the drums do you sing at all nah, no no <laughs> he's just there's some I, vocals on there man. A uh, lot of I, I am i i can say that i i have a a great sense of pitch in here but when i try to put it out here i sound like a it just doesn't <laughs> sound good <laughs> you um you miss playing live or are, are you still doing i know Kamara does these random shows um do, but do you do miss playing live i mean you guys were killing it back in the day uh there yeah there there are certainly aspects of 
playing live and touring that I miss and, and aspects that I don't. I've now, after all these years, grown comfortable just being a, a homebody and a father. You know, oh, nice. you know, I've got little kids so that I, I couldn't really picture being away from for extended periods of time. Like if we were to jump back into it again, full time or something like that. But I know other guys do it. So but uh, but yeah, so it had been six years actually to the day since I stepped on stage after leaving the band in 2012. And then we came back or at the end of 2011. And then we came back and did that show in 2017, the one Camille reunion show. And now it'll be five and a half years again for this set of shows coming up on May 12th and 13th here. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of time in between. So it's, it creates a lot of, uh, a feeling of, yeah, I can't wait to get back and, and, uh, give it another go. So yeah. We're, you guys we're practice here. together when you're rehearsing for these shows or do you just do well, them? Like all of us, you know, are, are going over the stuff on our own right now, but, uh, just Jim, Mark and I live in Cleveland and the rest of the guys are spread out vegas florida and la and so uh but we're at the end of march we're going to get together for our first round of rehearsals and that'll be probably like three days to just start going over the set working out any kinks figuring out transitions talking about everything finding modifying all that and then we'll come back uh i believe may 1st and then do like a full 10-day stretch of just hitting it hard leading up to the shows rehearsing together are you going to film the show the show coming up um, Todd Bell is actually coming out and I don't know that it'll be like a full filming of the show. That is something that we release like full concert, but there's going to be lots recorded of the, the rehearsal, the load in day of all sorts of shows. And I imagine that something will come out maybe just like a little, I don't know, I'm pulling this out of my ass, but, uh, you know, a 20, 30 minute kind of mini movie of the whole experience, I think wow. is kind of what it'll end up being. Yeah, I love that, man. I, I don't know, like, how you guys do without, like, with nerves and everything, just building up to this one moment, you know? Uh, <laughs> I, I remember seeing the documentary, Mark was, you know, obviously nervous. He was throwing up, literally, before going on the show. Do you get nervous before playing gigs like that? Uh, I don't I don't really think so. I, I, That's a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 don't, like, I don't feel nervous right now. Like, as if, as if I were to have to take the stage right now, I, I don't feel nervous, but I may you know, the day of, I'm not sure. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I believe in that if you're confident and you know your parts, then there's no reason to be nervous, especially knowing that it's, it's, they're both sold out and the fans want it and it's going to be great. It's not like, Oh, are people going to show up that type of nervousness? Cause you know, it's going to be slammed out. So it's kind of cool. That kind of sets your nerves at ease already knowing that it's going to be great. So I'm um, feeling good going into it. It's funny how we're all getting older. Uh, I remember seeing you. I remember seeing you guys back in the day. You would divide the crowd. Yeah. Big wall of death. But the older we get, I mean, do you see people like I, I'm assuming we're around the same age? Do you just see newer fans, or do you just see older fans bringing their kids and stuff? You know. It's... Well, uh, I, I guess I, I'm pretty sure. I don't remember the moment, but I'm pretty sure Mark. In, in 2017 at the last show said how many of you have seen Kamira before <sighs> how many of you are seeing Kamira for the first time <sighs> so it's like kind of mixed up you know um maybe there's some little kids there with their parents but but not 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 a ton or anything you know it's it's a heavy metal show so you know there's some young kids that their parents take them to that type of stuff but I, I don't know but man I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to seeing whatever you guys record too that's really cool yeah and me too. 
So are you when you do a you're gonna do another solo album? I'm assuming are you gonna have a different drummer this time? Probably. Um, I, I'd love to have Andals again, but um, that's that's on him if he's uh, able to uh, show the world that he's been playing and that he's he's back at it and stuff, which hasn't happened yet. So I can't count on that. So uh, yeah, I definitely plan to do another one. I've already started just compiling riffs in my head and singing them into my phone all the time, but I'm doing that all the time anyways. I just have to pick and choose what I want to use or what feels good to go with at that time for it. But uh, yeah, so as I was saying earlier, um, when, when that time comes, I'll have to determine who, who I'd like to have play um, all over from, from drums to vocals to all that, you know? And I, when I write the songs, I typically write my own drums. I just program them just so there's something there. And then I'll always ask the drummer, do you want a version with my drums that I played or not? Um, and uh, I'll tell, I'll, I'll tell an interesting story here. Something actually that, um, that, that no one's ever really no one's ever heard before about a song on magnitude uh are are you are you a megadeth fan yes man yeah. so the late nick menza the drummer menza, during the yes. during the golden era of megadeth yes in in 2013 i think i was uh called by nick menza's manager that said and he said hey nick nick uh likes your work and uh would like you to write some songs for him I was blown away by that. Like, like, whoa, dude, you know, I grew up listening to Megadeth. I, I love Nick Menza. And uh, so I was totally honored. So uh, I wrote him the song Ghost Roaster, which is like track six or seven or something on, on the CD I don't know, but somewhere. But there's a song Ghost Roaster on there. I wrote that for Nick Menza from Megadeth. But uh, so dude, that's I asked him. Well, yeah. So I, I asked, though, do you want my version with the drums or do you just want to go 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 free with it? And he said, no, I don't want to hear the drums you wrote, which was totally fine. Hey, this is Nick Menza. You know, I'm, you, you can do it. Take it however you want it. But it was unfortunate. What he sent back, it just didn't it didn't work. It didn't click. Uh, I, I feel like he didn't understand, like, my my song writing. And uh, again, no disrespect. I love Nick Menza and everything. But he just didn't he just didn't get it or something where as if I would have set my drums along, he would have understood the arrangement more where the up and down beats were not that it's a complicated arrangement or anything like that, but it just didn't work for him and it didn't work for us. And the song didn't work out. So now you can go listen to Andal's version and he killed it. Cause he knows me super well. And it, you know, he, he knows everything I'm going to do anyways, but he also did listen to my demo drums and understood where I planned for the snares to fall and things like that. So just a funny thing. I kind of worked with Nick Menza, but, but not, and later on, actually, just to conclude this, I heard some material that he had other guys write for him, and it, it could have been any song off Rust in Peace. So that's what he was looking for, I think, were just Megadeth-type songs, you know, and, and Ghost Roaster was not that at all. I tried to write something that I thought that would be cool for him, but was still my own. I didn't want to just write him a Megadeth song, unless I was asked to do that. If he had said, write me something like like Holy Wars or something, I would have tried, you know, but he didn't. So. Did you uh, did you tell him he didn't like the song, or how was the, uh, the response? <laughs> Um, I can't remember exactly what I said. And, and I really wish that I still had the email thread because I'd love to listen to it now. And I'd love to, well, I don't know that I'd share it just, <laughs> I, I don't know, but, um, but I can't even find the, the, the song, the version, the email thread, you know, sometimes after all those years, those things, they've been in your old mail for a while and then they get deleted to make space for, I don't know, you know, so it just works. AOL, AOL mails, what I was using, still use a little bit, but, um, 
No, unfortunately, I can't find that. I don't remember what the conversation was afterwards. And at that point, I, I was communicating with his manager, too, and I kind of was just like, eh, I don't think this is going to work out. And and that, and then that's where maybe he showed me what some of the other guys were writing for Nick, and it just kind of fell apart, I think. Have you ever guessed it on uh, other people's albums where you got asked to play a part? Um, Yeah. Yeah, I've done solos for just a number, a number of independent artists. I don't really think anything like, you know, big or anything like i can't say i'm on an uh whatever a, a fear factory album or, or something like that you know uh but just a lot of independent artists over the years especially in the early uh teens 2000 2013 through until i until like i said about 2018 when i stopped taking on work a lot a lot of my work was um you know guitar lessons doing guest solos for guys ghost songwriting mixing and uh tracking lots of local bands and stuff so i was doing a ton of that at that time and kind of like I was saying, I just really just stopped all that so that I could focus full time on YouTube because it was just too much to try to do all that kind of stuff uh, all, all, all at once while trying to build my YouTube channel. And I'm ever yeah. Dude, man, um, I, I got to say, growing up, your band and, and just that whole scene of going to shows and people handing you like you're talking about Streetwise handing CDs out to you. And and you guys were I mean, we really looked up to you. I mean, we looked up the we were big. Me and my friends, we all went to see Fear Factor every year. You guys spine shake it's just a i don't know man it's like uh it's just you're like a part of of something special you know and uh i totally I mean, agree. so cool man i totally agree man that those were just super fun times <clears throat> you don't really notice at the time i mean you're having fun at the time but looking back those are some of my fondest memories i mean for just think what that that meant for us you know because we we're just metal head loving kids too you know metal loving kids too you know that just got lucky these things started happening for us and one of our first tours el nino with mark rizzo where we're us and el nino two brand new roadrunner bands are supporting machine head and fear factory we're out with machine head and fear factory together bands that we worship growing up and and uh emulated and were influenced by and um and and yeah spine shank spine shank taking us under their wing taking us on our first tour just for the love of it we just met them one night we opened for them at some show and said hey take us on the tour and they said okay you know and uh that that's how it happened uh and then and then we're going to europe with all those bands and all that so yeah just a really fun time and surreal that that was happening for us and so many great shows masquerade shows down there oh, yeah. tabernacle mm -hmm. what else is down there? yeah that's so cool um uh, yeah, i was there <laughs> for sure yeah i dude i i Going to the Masquerade and Atlanta, those that area was always cool because they were just great crowds that that loved the music. Everybody was excited about music at that time. You know, yeah. new so metal cool. was happening. the The metal core thing was happening, and all it was all kind of coming together right then. A lot of a lot of good bands were were popping off, and it was just a good good time, good scene, good energy. Did you um do you did you collect a lot of stuff uh, from those times, like all on the road, and I don't know, like promotional stuff from the band are you a collector or do you just whatever i'm i'm, I'm not a collector but i'm a pack rat so okay. yes i've taken i would take one or two of everything from <laughs> every guitar pick to every laminate you know like, like a stage the passes to every vip sticky pass that the fans or that the you know guests would get um to every poster that i could get my hand on i have boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff and over the over the past couple of years, I've been doing like an eBay weekly sale. I started off with, and then on my Patreon page, uh, I was doing a raffle every month. Just get you know, just because I wanted to get this stuff, just give it to people because I literally have like some of this stuff 
30 copies or a hundred copies of some killer impossibility or reason poster or something, you know? Um, but yeah, I've kept everything, but not because of like, I'm a collector, like, like a baseball card collector or anything like that. Just because I just tr- save everything. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I, I do the same thing, but yeah, that's really neat that you put on, uh, you posted on eBay and stuff. I got to definitely check that out. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was cool. So it was a way to, to make a couple extra bucks. Plus I was doing a percentage to like, um, St. Jude's and stuff, you know, so get, be able to give a little back and stuff too. So, and cause I wanted to just get it out there. Like I said, you know, it was better, better than sitting in my basement in these boxes, you know? Yeah, man. But dude, I, I really appreciate you being on the show on good company. And one day I got to have you at the house sometime and do, we do a big interview with all the cameras and yeah, that, that'd be cool. Everybody. That'd be cool. First of all, well, thanks for having me. And, um, second uh that'd be great because that would mean that that in some way the stars would have aligned and we're on the road and we're coming through your neighborhood you know so yes that's because that's how that's the only way that's going to happen really i think you yeah know? no or, no no <laughs> or maybe it maybe it'd be just me with uh you know uh playing the magnitude album or something who knows you know sure. i'd love to get out there and play that record if i could um so there there are many possibilities we've done tour bus interviews so we could always do that too i interviewed striper the entire band on their bus I- Nice. We've done plenty of those. Everybody packed in the back lounge, you know, or uh, or front lounge, you know, whatever. But uh, but yeah, those those are always tight quarters, you know. When it's the whole band. Hey man, I really appreciate being on the show, man. Thank you so much, Rob. This is means a lot to me, man. My pleasure, and I appreciate all your uh, years of loving the music. (laughs) Thank you, man. Awesome. Hey man, I'm sorry about the slow start, man. But but, uh, uh, anyway, it's all good. Worked out all right, right? Yeah, man, but you're fun to talk to, man. This is really fun. Hey, I appreciate it. My pleasure. <laughs> like I said, thanks for having me. All right, man. Uh, Johnny, you got anything else to add? Or... <laughs> I always leave you hanging, man. No, it's all good, man. I'm, I'm just here for moral support, really. I do have a question, though. Do you own, like you were talking about how you have a lot of the same guitars and they're all streamlined, like for your sound. Yeah. Do you own anything that you wouldn't expect, like a single coil guitar or like an acoustic or anything like that, that you use for recording? Um, Something you wouldn't expect. Uh, yeah. I mean, I have nylon string guitars and 12 string guitars, um, you know, but I've, I've used those on, on the records and stuff. Uh, beginning of Implements of Destruction, you know, that's like a nylon string that I still have and, and use every once in a while. But I would say my, personally, my most, the most avant-garde guitar to my collection is a, um, like a dime bag uh, razor v that like um it might be the only non-esp guitar i have and it's just because uh, a fan sent it to me and he said hey i'd like for you to have this guitar so i you could see it in one of my videos everything you love 30 i think or something but um but i don't use it or any i don't really use it it's just something something to just have a cool dime bag keepsake you know? right of, right of course of course and you're sponsored by esp yeah yeah, That's I've had a, a great fruitful relationship with ESP since day one. Going back to Stefan, I don't know if you ever heard this, but during that meeting that I talked about where uh, Mark, Chris, and Jim were out there and they met Stefan at that dinner, he also said, hey, when you guys come back to record, I'll hook you up with ESP guitars. And we're like, okay. At that point, I had never played an ESP. I'd never held one. I only knew of them because James and Kirk and all the posters on my walls growing up were playing ESP right. guitars. So I was like, whoa, that's sick. Uh, I'll love to check those out. And dude, it was as simple as when we were rolling in to, to LA, Mark called Stefan and said, hey, we're coming to town here. So let's set up, you know, if you want to come by, write that song. And also you mentioned the CSP guitar thing. He said, yeah, hold on. He calls Mark back in like five minutes. He's like, I got a meeting for you guys tomorrow at noon at the ESP factory. Oh. So 
we're driving in and we go over to the factory and we meet the guys five minutes later, they're just in the warehouse here, take whatever you like sort of thing. Oh, and it's yeah, been like yeah. that ever since, you know, it's been killer. So Stefan, thanks Steph. Thank you, Stefan. He's hooked it up for us so much, you know, and just being a nice guy. That's it. Yeah, no doubt. Oh, that's great so guitars. Cool. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. Yeah, and it worked out then years later um, where, where Matt and I got signature ESPs, uh, the RA600 and MFA600. So it's really cool. Like I said, it's just been a, a really great relationship. And now, you know, I do um, um, like unboxings for them and stuff like that. If they have a new product, you know, they'll occasionally hit me up, be like, hey, do you want to demo this one on your channel and stuff? So, um, so yeah, it's, it's just really, really cool. And they're, they're fantastic instruments, undeniably fantastic instruments. So I'm super proud to be able to to fly the flag for a brand that I whole wholeheartedly believe in 100%, you know? Oh, that's amazing, dude. That's really cool. Yeah. I got a Stefan, I got a, and uh, I got one of his guitars framed, the, the whole band sign. One so of his green guitars, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know which one. That's cool. Um, I could picture it. It's yeah. maybe like a, like a, almost like a tally body. Yes. Yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. Hey, John, you got any more questions, man? <laughs> just one more, just for my own curiosity. Like, you know, you mentioned that when you started focusing on YouTube in 2018, that prior to that, you've been doing mixing, you were doing guitar lessons, like all these things that in my mind, I'm going like, okay, that's producing a steady stream of income. I know it sounds like it was very intentional for you to focus on YouTube, but was that, that had to be scary. Like, hey, man, I'm going to do this and focus on this. And like, you know, not, obviously I'm not. I don't know what it was like for you, but it just seems like that would be, that was like a leap of faith to go on there and, and concentrate on it really hard. What was that like? Yeah, uh, it was, I, 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 I'm a preparer. I prepare for everything. So I would say during the years leading up to that, as I started thinking about it, you know, I started just saving money, you know, a little extra saving a little extra money to be able to, to make that leap. Cause I was, making my living at that time primarily from uh you know recording local bands just right. in the area and i was i was getting burnt out on that a little bit where just for many reasons there's just so many moving parts to that dealing with with band members and everybody, everybody was cool and and i was lucky because i it came i already had like a built-in little level of respect because it was a, a, a cleveland you know Camera guy, you know, so so all that was super cool. I didn't really have any problems with guys or anything like that. But you know, I didn't like chasing money, and not not that people weren't paying either. But still, just that whole process, I just don't like that. I like just being creative and just working on my own stuff. Is what I came to find out through all that that I didn't. I needed to stop that, and and YouTube seemed like a great thing. So I just set myself up for that to be able to take that leap where you're not making any income at all at first with youtube you know right. um and even now it's not like uh it supports me or anything like that but i have because of it i have multiple streams of income that you build build up as you know as you as you guys know you know youtube creates a lot of opportunities so and you could pick and choose those opportunities and so it's uh it's just worked out another reason why i wanted to do it as well is is to make a platform for myself so i could release the solo album or my elite records or anything that i want to do like that where if i didn't have that really no one would know that they came out you know and even still now my my social media reach is still fairly small but i was lucky to have a built-in audience to start with but it's still fairly small in the grand scheme of things uh and i can't even touch the audience that a label would provide you know as a, a you know an established record label and stuff so uh, and I knew I wasn't going to have a record deal. So 
was all, all just, you know, came, came to this where, all right, I need to build this thing to build a platform so that people can find out about the music that I'm going to release. So it's all just working together and it's going to continue to work like that. And it continues to grow every single day and, and more towards the machine that I want, where I could just put out records, people know about them, whether they like them or not. And I could just continually do that. And that's all I do. Yeah. Man, that's, that's so cool. I love that drive and passion. That's really awesome. Hey, right on. Well, I'm sure you guys have it as well. You know, <laughs> we're trying. <laughs> that's why yeah. we're here, right? Yeah, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. one thing I was going to tell you, I, I, I forgot was when I was talking about your background, when I, I remember seeing the I keep bringing this documentary. I love it so much. But it was so cool seeing you in like in your bedroom. Was that your parents house? You're that just, was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Um, you know. So when I, you know, yeah, I lived there till till I was 25, because basically when I was 20, we started touring. And and at that point, I'd be home like a couple months a year, you know, because we, we we toured so much back then. Uh, and then. Um, when I met, met, met my, well, not met my wife, when I decided to ask my girlfriend to marry me at that time, then, then we got a place, you know, we bought a, bought a condo and, and that was the first time I, I moved out. But yeah, so all during that entire impossibility reason there, I was, I was you know, living in my parents, you know? Yeah, that's, that, that's good. That's cool. All right, man. I appreciate, I appreciate being on the show, dude. This means the world to me, man. Fucking a. All Sweet. right, guys. Well, thanks so much. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. When, when do you think this will hit? Um, so I'm, I'm doing the CMS network. I'm on the CMS network, the classic motion network, and they want me to release every other Thursday. So it'd probably be maybe two weeks, maybe. I mean, yeah. I can push it sooner if you want. No, no, it doesn't matter to me. I'll just, uh, keep an eye out and so I can, uh, you know, share it. Oh, that means the world. Exactly. I'll, I'll definitely send you a link and all that stuff. Yeah, please do. And well, um, well, where is it? I'm going to, oh, Scott, see here. Uh, am I subscribed? I'm not. I'm hey. now subscribed. Hey guys, my name is Scott Bowen. Oops. I have a YouTube That's me. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm now subscribed, so I'll know. Oh, um, sweet, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. cool I'll look out for it. And uh, yeah, touch. thanks again. You guys take it easy. All right. All right you too, bro. Peace, y'all. All right. Cheers, guys. Thanks, man.